0: After last week we had a music uh, concert and uh, how many of you were blessed by last week? I was. Yeah, And some of you got to watch that back online and hopefully none of you made the mistake you men when you left that you suggested that the drip, drip song was your favorite song. Hopefully no one did that. Okay, And uh, but it was a good Sunday service and we sure enjoyed that. Uh, this Wednesday we've been going through a prophecy series and it finished up this uh, past Wednesday And uh, Wednesday night, we were discussing the millennial reign of Christ. And uh, as we were discussing that, uh, I was reminded of a time a few years ago, Stacy and I was out in Denver, and we were walking through the mountains of uh, uh, one of the mountains there and just going along a trail, and it was uh, at the beginning of fall. And that time of year, you've got to be on the lookout for bears because they're thinking about winter, and they see you as a pork chop, you know, walking through the... (laughs) And uh, you know they can store up a little bit for for winter time. So uh, so we're kind of you know was on the lookout. You know you don't want any bear to come across. And uh, well, you know what's interesting about the millennial reign, you will not have to worry about that because all animals are going to become vegetarians. And believe it or not, that is true. So I was thinking, boy, you know. But right now, that's not true, which will remind me of another story of this this atheist. And uh, he was walking through the woods one day in the mountains, and and uh, he come across, to, or he was just enjoying the beauty, he was seeing all the trees and all the nature, and he was just thinking how, just how wonderful it is. And all of a sudden, he heard this wrestle, rustling noise, and, and out comes this bear. And he's like, oh, he takes off running. He's running from the bear. And, uh, the, and, he, and he's, uh, he looks back and he, for a second. He sees the bear's closing in on him. He's like, oh, no. And so this atheist, he cries out to God. He says, Lord, help me. And all of a sudden, everything got quiet. The bear stopped running. He stopped running. There's this light. And he heard God's voice that said this, All your life you have denied me. All your life you've caused grief for Christians, and now you want me to help?" And the atheist says, "Oh Lord, you're right. You're right. Uh, I don't deserve it. I tell you what, uh, would you just do this? Would you make the bear a Christian? I know I can't ask you to do something for me, but would you make the bear a Christian? And all of a sudden, he, he said yes. And then he heard the noise and the bear was there again. He looked and the bear was praying. And the bear was praying, and he goes, wow, this is amazing. The bear was saying, Lord, thank you for this meal I'm about to eat. (laughs) That's not a true story, by the way. (laughs) What does that have to do with today's lesson, today's message? Nothing. (laughs) Today we're talking about knowing God's love. To know God, you know this, to know God is to know love. There's one thing that's absolutely true. If you're a Christian, you know the love of God. And what we're going to look at today is what the greatest hallmark, gravest evidence that you are a Christian is that you have the love of God in your heart. If you are a Christian, you have God's love. So we are looking at 1st John, the book or the epistle of First John. In First John, when you read through it, love is mentioned throughout the whole book, throughout the whole book. And uh, I'm not sure how many times it's mentioned, but it's unmistakable that, that it's thread throughout the whole book. So a little bit of context before we uh, go through First John, but let's pray. Dear Gracious Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank You for the love of God, Lord, we thank you, Lord, that you demonstrate that love when you died on the cross for us, Lord, And as I think about what this world desperately needs is to see the love of Christ through us, Lord. Pray, Lord, that you give me uh, wisdom, that you'd help me uh, be clear in the, as we go through this uh, message, Lord, and that you would just use what you have for us today to change lives. And I thank you for it, and I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So we're looking at first John. Most scholars believe that first, second, and third John were written by the Apostle John. I think it's pretty evident that we can be confident that the Apostle John is the author of First John. He's also the author of the Gospel of John. and uh, John was a uh, he was a, a personal witness to the life and ministry of Christ as well as to the uh, resurrected Christ in his ascension. You know he is referred to, Oftentimes is the apostle of love, as the apostle of love. You know, if you want to know why 1st John was written, you need to look no further than a couple of verses. And in verse 4 of 1st John, you see this. He says, And these things write we unto you that your joy may be full. He says, I write these things unto you that your joy may be full. How many want to be full of joy? I want to be full of joy but sometimes we're not okay so but uh, th- but this is an almost an exact quotation from John 15 11 that says this this is Jesus saying these things have I spoken unto you that my joy might remain in you and that your joy might be full so in his gospel in John 15, is almost an exact quotation of something that Jesus had said. So there's another reason the book was written, and we see that at the end of the book in chapter 5 and verse 13. It says this, it says, These things have I written unto you that believe on the name of the Son of God, that you may know that you have eternal life, that you may know that you have eternal life, that you may believe on the name of the Son of God. So another reason that First John is written for assurance of salvation, that you know that you have eternal life. So there's some tests in the, in the epistle that can be applied. You know, I don't know about you, though. There's no greater joy than this, than knowing that you are saved that knowing your sins are forgiven, that knowing that you are on your way to heaven. There is no greater joy than that. Okay? So however... There were many threats to the church, the early church, is just as there is today. And so there was a as false teachers in the, that were attacking the early church that were a threat. And, uh, and Jesus had warned that this would happen. And, and it did, of course. Uh, you know, so he refers to these in the epistle as false teachers. And as John called them, antichrists. And the chapter that we look at today starts with a warning. Chapter 4 starts out with a warning about false prophets and instructs us as Christians to test the spirits. Test the spirits. Do you know this? There is one hallmark way to know if someone is a Christian and if they're proclaiming Christ, whether they are a Christian. There is one hallmark way to one evidence to suggest someone's a Christian. We'll see that in a little bit. So, So the chapter's That we're looking at chapter four is what we're looking at today is uh that starts off with a warning it says to test the spirits test those that are proclaiming the name of christ bleeder or not not everybody that claims the name of christ is a christian not everyone that claims to be a christian is a christian and it was true then it is true now but the particular false teaching at this time uh, that uh, it, it just uh, very evident and very apparent that, that he was dealing with was uh, the threat of Gnosticism, Gnosticism. And the word Gnosticism derives from the Greek word or the root word gnosis, which means it means to know it means to know. So there was this uh, false teaching that said there was, a, there was a type of mysticism that was teaching uh, that claims that they had some special knowledge of God, that there was some special knowledge of God beyond what Christ had taught, beyond what the Word of God, that they had some sort of special knowledge that others did not have, something that even Christ did not know. That was how far sometimes they took it. So, Gnostics would claim to have this special knowledge and truth that was only known by a few. It was only known by a few. Okay? As described by one writer, Gnosticism is based on a mystical, intuitive, subjective, inward, emotional approach to truth. Let me say that one more time. Gnosticism is based on a mystical, intuitive, subjective, inward, emotional approach to truth. You know, Gnosticism gave rise to many, many writings that we refer to today as the Gnostic Gospels. You may have heard these. You may have heard, uh, if you have the History Channel, uh, I believe they did a series on the lost books of the Bible called the Lost Books of the Bible. And in some of that, they, they, they talked about some of these Gnostic books that were written such as the Gospel of Thomas, the Gospel of Philip, and the Gospel of Mary, among others. But here's the thing about it. okay, There is no lost books of the Bible. We have every single one of them right here. Everything that God wanted for you is right here. There are no lost books of the Bible. But it can entice people. Oh, there's something out there, something more than we have right here. And wow, they've got some special... Uh, Knowledge. Some, something's been found. The Da Vinci Code and other books like that have been written that somehow can find some sort of deeper uh, 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 meaning in the Word of God than others can find. All these kinds of things, okay? But there are no lost books of the Bible. Here's the thing. Those Gospels that were written were fraudulent. They added the names of Thomas and Mary. Those that people would have known that were Christians. They, they, these most popular names, they added those to give credence to them, but they were fraudulently added. Thomas had nothing to do with. Mary had nothing to do with. They were fraudulent. So there are no lost books to the Bible. So Gnosticism is the opposite of Christianity, which knows that our faith is built on the Word of God. It's not built on experience. It's not built on emotions. It's not built on some uh, intuitive leading that we have. It's built and our faith is built on the word of God. Okay, so the, so Gnostic was this sort of a mysticism that was threatening the church, this false teaching. You know, the, the, but here's the thing. It wasn't just something for the early church. It's something that threatens the church even today. Now, it kind of maybe looks a little bit different, but we see the prevalence of this kind of thinking that there just, there just seems to be something in mankind that wants to think there's something more. There's some sort of secret and there's something out there that beyond what the word of God teaches. And, uh, so we see this kind of, uh, this, this way of thinking, though, in other areas of life and, uh, you know it seems like we just love a good conspiracy you know that there's just something more and i remember during the last now i don't want to get political but it is just something that came to mind as i was thinking about this how this way of thinking can come in and how, but it is such a threat that we have to be aware of i remember during the last couple of elections how many people on facebook and twitter and other social media seem to be privy to special secret knowledge of these huge conspiracies on Facebook, they seemed to have this special knowledge of things that were to happen and, and that these huge conspiracies. And I thought to myself, and I said, self, if if this is such a huge secret, why is it on Facebook? Okay, why is it on Facebook? I would wonder things like, how does this guy with a podcast out of his mom's basement have such special knowledge that he can tell you what's going to happen in the future? I thought, this doesn't add up. This doesn't make sense. Okay, I remember hearing that there would be some sort of coup that would take over the government, dethroning our president on a very specific date. I remember thinking, wow, this guy in the basement knows something. And he kind of wants to draw us in. We want to know something no one else knows. But it wasn't true. You know, it makes you think, though, this guy must be important. You know, he must be some CIA guy or something, you know. He must be in the inner workings and have some knowledge. I remember thinking, wow, how is it this guy on Facebook knows something, but the president doesn't know it? Someone maybe ought to call the president. How can it be that the president knows so little and this guy knows so much? Well, obviously it wasn't true, but there's something in us that's drawn to those things. And when it comes to spiritual matters, we can be drawn to those things as well. There's something more than this. So we get drawn into this kind of thinking that there's some, someone's got special knowledge and it's not from the Word of God, but it's new, it's different, so it's exciting. It can draw us in. And that was the concern that John had that those would be drawn away to... Those kind of things. Now I have come to the conclusion that there's something in us that just loves this. Okay? There's some sort of that there's just something out there. The same thing that Satan uses to draw Christians away from the truths of the Bible is the thing that's in us. Things that, that there's there's just some some mystical thing out there, some deeper knowledge of God to be found outside of Scripture. Man would rather, get this, and pastor said this many times, and I've heard others say this, man would rather believe a lie than the simple truths of the Bible. You know what? Before we go looking for some deeper knowledge, we need to apply the simple things of Christ. The simple things in the Word of God. Sometimes we're looking for something else and we're missing what God has for us. You know, I believe this... The Christians have spent more time in the last couple of years with agnostic or not agnostic, agnostic tendencies than Bible reading. Okay, let me say that. I think Christians have spent more time with Gnostic tendencies than Bible reading or Bible studying. You know, we need to get off Facebook. We need to get off Twitter. We need to get off Instagram. Get off YouTube. Get off Breitbart. Get off Newsmax. Get off Fox News. Definitely get off CNN. Okay? Why? You will not find Jesus there. He's not there. He's here. This. If you want to find Jesus, you look no further than the Word of God. This is where Christ is. You will not find Him there. Oh, you might even find little snippets there, but you're going to find a whole lot of things that are not good for us spiritually. He is in the Word of God, and we need Christ. I need Jesus. The world needs Jesus. You need Jesus. We find Him in the Word of God. So we need to turn off the Internet and get into the Word of God. You know, here's news for you. All those things I mentioned earlier, they're all fake news. All of them. You say, no, no, they're not. They're, they're, there's truth. No, no, it's all fake news. Because everyone has an agenda. Have you figured that out yet? Everyone's got an agenda. Okay, but here's this. The only agenda that matters to the Christian is this. It's the agenda Christ has set out for us. It is the agenda that He has for us. It's the only agenda that's 100% reliable, unchanging is the agenda that Jesus has for you. The only headline that really matters is this. The only headline that really matters is this. Jesus is coming. That's the headline that matters. So the book of 1 John tells us to abide in Christ. Beware of false prophets. If we do, we can have joy and confidence until He comes. So a lot of times we don't have joy because we're looking for all these other experiential things instead of the Christ that gives us joy. So if we are to have confidence, we need to find it in the Word of God. So John had the great privilege of seeing Jesus in person, hearing him speak, hearing him teach, observe, observing him interact with others, and most of all, seeing him resurrected and seeing his ascension. You see, there was a second part to the heresy of Gnosticism. It's this. It teaches that sin doesn't matter. Sin doesn't matter because all that matters is the spiritual realm. Okay, what we do in the body doesn't matter. Okay, uh, they they took us so far to deny that Jesus was God incarnate because they they believe that the only thing that matters is spirit, and God could not manifest Himself in flesh. So they even went so far as to deny Jesus incarnate. So. This teaching was threatening the church. So John was writing to combat it. You see, get this. Gnostics, they were claiming to be Christians. They were claiming to be Christians, but there was a telltale sign that John tells us about that was missing from their lives. There was this major telltale sign. And John emphasizes that, that, that they demonstrated that they were not Christians at all. And he tells us how you can know that they weren't Christians. The Gnostics lacked something that is evidence of salvation, and they didn 't have it. You see the telltale sign, the telltale sign was this was how they reacted when believers would not follow them was how they reacted when believers would not follow them. so they come to Christians with with their teaching, and then they, some would follow them but some would not but how they reacted to those that would not follow them was a telltale sign that they were not Christians. So, those that taught those that did not follow them, what what they were teaching all the others around them that did follow them, they were teaching them to hate the other ones. They were teaching them to hate the ones that would not follow them. So, you you see here, what was happening was it gave them away. It's the fact that they had hate for their fellow Christian. Well, the reason why they had hate for their fellow Christian was because they weren't Christians to begin with. Because that is a hallmark of a Christian is this. Is that you have love for the brethren. That is a hallmark that you every Christian has is love for the brethren, and they did not have it. They lacked it. You see, a lack of love for the brethren was the, what gave it away. Now see, bear with me a minute as I get to the right slide here. You see, we know that we have verse 1 John 3.14 says, We know that we have passed from death unto life because we love the brethren. He that loveth not his brother abideth in love. That's the wrong scripture. He first John three fourteen says, We know that we have passed from death unto life because we love the brethren. He that loveth not his brother abideth in death. Whosoever hateth his brother is a murderer. And you know that no murderer hath eternal life abiding in him. Hereby perceive we the love of God because he laid down his life for us and we ought to lay down our lives for the brethren. So John is telling us that the greatest evidence, the greatest evidence of genuine saving faith is this is a love for the fellow believer. But the Gnostics lacked this love for fellow believers. Why? They had a self-love. They wanted to be followed, and when they didn't get their followers, they demonstrated they had a lack of love for believers. By the way, this is not new. He In First uh, John, he uses the story of Cain and Abel. Cain of Abel. Cain killed his brother Abel, when God did not accept his sacrifice, demonstrating he did not love his brother, so he killed his brother. And it's very much like that when, uh, it is how that we demonstrate we are not Christians when we hate our brother. You see, genuine faith is demonstrated by love. Genuine faith is demonstrated by love. So, 1 John 1, 4 says this, and these things write we unto you that your joy may be full. We want to have be full of joy. John 15:11 as I already said is what he was quoting. But the first point that we're looking at today in 1 John chapter 4 is this. 1 John chapter 4 is this the knowledge of God's love. The knowledge of God's love. Starting at verse seven says, Beloved, let us love one another, for love is of God, and everyone that loveth is born of God and knoweth God. He that loveth not knoweth not God, for God is love. And this was manifested the love of God toward us, because that God sent his only begotten Son of the world that we might live through him. You see, in verse 7, we see that those that have been born into the family of God, if you've been born into the family of God, those that are truly a child of God will have love. They will demonstrate the attribute of God, love. If you are born again, if you have the seed of Christ in you, you will have the attribute of love you will have the attribute of love whereas when you were physically born when you were physically born you had Adam's seed which was a uh, 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 a fallen nature and you had a self-love but when you get born again and you're in you're saved you get a, a, this attribute of a sacrificial love that comes from christ if you're his child you will demonstrate love in your life So when you're born again, you inherit this from God, His love, through His enjoying Spirit. Because of this, you will will have a love for others, and if you don't have a love for others, this is a telltale sign that there's something wrong, there's something wrong, and further examination needs, needs to be done. You know, some of you have children here, and I'm sure that you have used this statement before. When you've had, you've observed your child doing something and, uh, that you're known to do and you say something like this, yep, that's definitely my child. Okay. Or if it's something not good, you may say, that's definitely your child. <laughs> you know, but you see they're doing something that, 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 that you recognize that comes from one of the parents. Okay. This is something that, that when you see this type of love in the world, you know it comes from God, OK? And if you're a child of God, you will demonstrate love. It's a characteristic of a child of God. It's unmistakable. When the people see it, immediately recognize, many times you, you've heard statements like this, "He must or she must be a Christian." It's usually because of an unusual type love that they've demonstrated, a sacrificial love that's not in the world. They said, it must be a Christian. It's unmistakable where it comes from. So, verse 8 says, "...he that loveth not knoweth not God, for God is love." To know Christ is to know love. To know Christ is to know love. The next verse tells us how we know the love of Christ. Verse 9, In this in this was manifested the love of God. So how do we know the love of God? It was manifest. It was bring evident. How was it evident? It was this, that God sent His only begotten Son into the world, that we might live through Him. Here in His love, not that we love God, but that He loved us, and sent His Son to be a perpetuation for our sin. You see, love is not a feeling you can actually see love in in motion. We can see God's love in that we know that He died on the cross. He didn't just say He loved us. He did something. It was evident. It was manifested when He died on the cross for you and I. So to know the love of God is to know how He demonstrated His love. To know the love of God is to know how He demonstrated His love. He died on the cross for you you and I. To know the love of God is to know The price that He paid for you and I to have a relationship with you. Think about that. The cost that He paid for you to have a relationship with you. What great love that He has for us. That He's willing to die on the cross for you and I. So to know God is to know that He is love. Verse 11, Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. See, there are two things that can never go together. There are two things that can never go together, and it's this. Love and hate. They don't go together. They're opposites. Hate is something that is not inherited from God. It does not resemble His nature at all. Which takes me to the next point, which is this. Truly knowing God's love leads to a witness to the world of the the Gospel. Truly knowing God's love leads to a witness of God's love to the world. Verse 12 says this, No man has seen God at any time. If we love one another, God dwells in us. And His love is perfected in us. Well, what does that mean? The Apostle John and others, as I said already, they saw Christ okay they had the great privilege of seeing his life seeing his ministry they got to see how jesus lived for others they got to see how jesus humbly washed the feet of his disciples they got to see how jesus was a servant they got to see how jesus edified others through teaching god's word they got to see how jesus treated the most needy in the world they got to see how he surrendered his life to the will of god the father they got to see the love of christ in action the apostles disciples they got to see it with their own eyes. okay. So, But when John says that His love is perfected in us, what he's saying is that His finished work on the cross, His finished work of love is, is brought to completion when we demonstrate that same love in this world that we live in. Which is something we could never do before salvation. We didn't have it. But with the love of God, We can demonstrate that love. That is the witness to the world that we have Christ living in us when we show love to others. The love of Christ. He says, love one another as He loved us. That is to witness to the world that Jesus lives. How do we do that? When we live for others, when we humbly serve, when we edify others, when we meet the needs of the most needy, when we surrender our wills to God, when we lay down our lives for the benefit of others, when we love each other as Christ loved us, then the world sees Jesus. That is how Jesus is seen in this world today. It's through the love that we demonstrate to others. Then the world sees Jesus. They see the love of Christ. Verse 13 to 16 goes on to tell us that this is our testimony. This is our testimony to the world. Verse 13 says, Hereby, hereby know we that we dwell in him and he in us because he hath given us of his spirit. And we have seen and do testify that the father sent the son to be the savior of the world. Whosoever shall confess that Jesus is the son of God, God dwelleth in him and he in God. And we have known, get this, and we have known and believed the love that God hath to us. God is love. And he that dwelleth in love dwelleth in God, and God in him. How do I know there is a God? One reason is because I've witnessed His love. I've witnessed His love. Which takes me to the next point. The boldness of God's love. The boldness of God's love. You know, to, to know the love of Christ is to know that God is your advocate. Do you know that God is for you? To know the love of Christ. Do you know that He loves you? Have you ever doubted His love for you? But to know the love of Christ is to know that He is an advocate for you and not your executioner. First John 2 1 says, My little children, these things write I unto you that ye sin not, And if any man sin, we have an advocate. We have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteousness. See, to know the love of Christ is to know that He is for you and not against you. To truly know the love of Christ is to know that He is for you. To know the love of Christ is to know God as Father. Get this? To know God as Father as opposed to God as judge, do you see God as a judge up there ready to drop the hammer on you, or as a father that we can plead to for every need we have? He's a loving father. He loves you. Okay. To know the love of God is to know that He is Father. If you are His child, He is your Father. He treats you as a child. You get. The... He treats us as a child, no longer as an enemy. So praise God that he loves us in spite of our sin, okay? He loves us in spite of our sin. So you may experience chastisement as a Christian. But get this: you don't experience God's judgment. You may experience chastisement, but not his judgment. Okay? Why? Your sins were already judged. You were found guilty, and your sins were nailed to the cross. Guilty, pardoned, forgiven. So yes, it is true that we should never use that to continue an unrepentant sin. But have her know this, because of the love of Christ, you can put away fear. You can put away fear that God is out to get you. He's not out to get you as a Christian. He loves you. He's out to transform you, to make you into His image. But you need not fear God's judgment as a Christian because of the love that He has for you. First John 4, 17 says this, Herein is our love made perfect. Herein is our love made perfect that we may have boldness in the day of judgment, because as he is, so are we in this world. There is no fear in love, but perfect love casteth out fear, because fear hath torment. He that feareth is not made perfect in Love. The evidence of God's love for you and I, the evidence for God's love in you came to completion when Jesus said it's finished on the cross. When He said it is finished, His love was fully demonstrated, completely. And there's no greater love than that for Him laying His life down for you and I. So some Christians can have this fear that God's out to get them, that God's out to judge them, and it's saying you've got a problem. You don't understand the love of Christ. You don't know the love of Christ. You may be saved, okay, but you don't have a full understanding, a complete understanding of the love of Christ. There's something missing there. You need a better understanding of the love of Christ. He's not out to get you. As a child of God, you will never experience His wrath. You will never experience His wrath that's being stored up for the unbeliever. He will always receive you back into fellowship if you've fallen away. He will never deny you because to do so, get this, would be to deny Himself. To deny Himself. 1 John 4.19 says, We love Him because He first loved us. You know, we go about trying to prove our love to God. Okay? We get it backwards. It starts with the fact that He loves you. We start at that point. We only love Him because of His love for us. So you may say at times, My love for Christ has grown cold. It's grown cold. And well, here's how you can reignite those flames. And it's this First of all, take a good, long, hard look at the cross. Take time, remember the cross. Remember the price that He paid for you. Spend some time meditating. This is what God did for you. Remember what He did for you. Then confess and repent of sin. Confess and repent of sin. Then do this. Thank Him that He still loves you in spite of your sin. That hasn't changed. He still loves you. Which takes me to the last point, which is this. The commandment of God's love. You know, we cannot claim to be in a right relationship with God and not be in a right relationship with others. It cannot happen. If I were holding two glasses here with water, you could see through them, and uh, they're clear glasses, one in each hand. One's demonstrating my love of God and the other, my love of others. Get this. This is my love of God. This is my love for others. They will always be equal. Let me explain. If we say that we love God and hate our brother, we say this cup's full, but our love for others isn't full, we're deceiving ourselves. We're lying. You don't really love God. Because the evidence you love God is both are full. You love God and you love others. They must both be the same. You cannot claim, I love God and hate others. You cannot have an ought between you and your brother and say that you have a full glass of God's love. You cannot. It's impossible. So we can deceive ourselves. In our estimation, we look at the glass representing our love of Jesus being full and complete, but harbor something less than love for others. And it's impossible. God is saying, You're deceiving yourself. Verse 20, if a man say, I love God, and hateth his brother, he is a liar. I think I am. For he that loveth not his brother whom he hath seen, how can he love God whom he hath not seen? So John completes the chapter then with a commandment. A commandment. And this commandment have we from him, that he who loveth God love his brother also. Folks, if we are to claim to love God, the evidence of that is you love others. That's the evidence that you truly do love God is that you love others. You know, there's a missionary. Her name was Maria Dyer. She was born in 1837 on the mission field of China. And uh, her parents were—they were these pioneer missionaries, some of the first missionaries to China. Uh, but both her parents died while in uh, on the mission field. She was just a little girl, and uh, she she was sent back to England to be raised by an uncle. You know, but the loss of her parents in that uh, that experience did not deter her from sharing the gospel with others. So at age 16, she and her sister returned to China as missionaries themselves. Then five years later, she married a man named Hudson Taylor. He's a man well known today for his ministry and faith and sacrifice. And Hudson and uh, Maria's work was often criticized, and sometimes even by other Christians. And at one point, Maria wrote this, as to the harsh judgings of the world or the main, more painful misunderstandings of Christian brethren I generally feel that the best plan is to go on with our work and leave God to vindicate our cause. Of their nine children, only four survived into adulthood. Maria herself, she died of cholera when she was just 43, but she always believed that the cause was worthwhile and it was worthy of the sacrifice that she had experienced. And on her grave marker said these words, for her to live was Christ and to die was gain. That was her testimony. So Maria, she was a great example of the love of Christ on display to the world. She experienced all kinds of things. Tragedy. Things happened in her life. Things happened to her. Things happened to her children. Yet she continued to show the love of Christ to others by sharing the Gospel with them. She was not deterred by the experience of things that happened to her, by tragedy. She kept on demonstrating the love of Christ to others. She was criticized, but she kept on demonstrating the love of Christ to others. Folks, we need to reject. Get this we must reject any spirit that attempts to divide. We, let me say that one more time, we must reject any spirit that he attempts to divide the brethren we're living in time where people are divided over a number of issues a number of issues if there's one word that could be described the last two years between the election and covid is divisions half on this side half on this side or 64 whatever all sorts of divisions okay so we're living in a time where people are divided over issues but this is a time get this that christians can show that we are united by the love of christ the world's divided christians must be united by the love of christ christian here's what we need we need a renewal we need a renewal a revival of this sacrificial love sacrificial love of others it was god's love for us that sent jesus into the world to die for our sins is that kind of giving love that our world needs so desperately today So, when we love God as we should, our interests fade away. It's not about you and I. It's about our testimony to the world of the God that we know and love. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, as I think of a divided world that we live in today, Lord, and Lord, we desperately need to see your love on display, Lord. First of all, Lord, I pray that you'd help us to know the love that you have for us, Lord. Uh, you would help us to know what your love is and how it's different from our love, Lord. How you sacrificially gave yourself for us, Lord. And Lord, help us to show that love to others, Lord. Allow you to live through us to, that your love would abound to others, Lord. Lord, I... Uh, Help us, Lord, to trust you. Lord, it requires faith to trust you in these matters, Lord. Lord, I pray, Lord, that your love would abound in all of our lives as we leave here this week. Pray in Jesus' name. Amen. You stand with your eyes closed and heads bowed. And maybe your love has grown cold. It happens to all of us from time to time where our love can grow cold. Would you just take some time to remember what Christ did for us on the cross as Brenda plays an invitational song? Maybe as you survey the cross and you consider what Christ did for you, you're reminded of some some, something that's dividing you and another brother or uh, someone in the fam- your family or someone, there's something between you and another. Would you say, God, help me to make things right? How many here would say, I want to be a testimony of the love of Christ in this world. Would you raise your hand if you want to be a testimony of God's love in this world? Hands all over. Perhaps you'd like to come forward and just uh, do business with God. Whatever's on your heart, if anything's on your heart, would you like to come forward and just pour out your heart to God? Maybe you have sin that needs to be confessed. And when we have sin in our lives, we quench, we grieve the Spirit of God, and we can't show the love of God to others. It's be a good time to deal with that. We confess it, we repent of it, and we move on. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank You for the great love that You have for us, Lord, and Lord, as we live here today, Lord, I pray, Lord, that we demonstrate that we do know the love of Christ. Lord, I've seen that in this church, Lord. I've seen it in many lives. I've been a beneficiary of Your love through others, Lord. Lord, help us to do as You commanded to love one another, Lord. Help us to not be divisive, Lord, but Lord, to lay down our interests and put Your interests above all others, Lord. Lord, help us to be a good testimony to those around us and i thank you for it and pray in jesus name amen as we leave here today would you consider what testimony am i showing to the world around us around me am i demonstrating the love of christ and leave here today with the hopefully renewed zeal for folks to see god's love through you